We may not fit in. The world is not our home. Jesus came into a world where he didn't fit in, and they killed him and they hung him on the cross. Grace is contrary to the systems of this world, and that is okay. Hear more on the Grace Walk series. We are currently in a seven-week series of messages called Grace Walk. Uh, If you're visiting with us um, today or you uh, were here last Sunday maybe for the first time, I I want you to know, just a little explanation, uh, a series like this is not our normal mode of preaching. Uh, I don't know, 80 to 90% of my preaching is... uh, is walking through books of the Bible or sections of books, um, such as over the last couple of years, we've gone through the book of Acts. Uh, during 2020 and 2021, yes, it took me two full years to get through the book of Acts. Um, but then we also went through First Thessalonians and Titus. We've looked at the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And most recently, we just completed a, a series of messages from the last third of the book of Genesis on the life of Joseph. And um, that's kind of our normal uh, mode, but every once in a while, uh, we're going to take a topic and uh, see what God's Word has to say uh, on that particular subject. And such as I've t- I've spoken on the subject of generosity uh, last year about this season of the year. I spoke on the prophetic meaning of the Jewish fall feasts. Um, by the way, happy Rosh Hashanah today, right? Um, go back and listen to those, okay? Um, um, And, of course, at Christmas, I talk about the birth of Jesus, right? Um, So this current series on grace is is one of those, what we call a topical sermon series. And it's, um, you know, even more so than a a, a series of messages on grace, this is really a series of messages on the gospel. (laughs) What it means to live an abundant, victorious, spirit-led life in Christ. And each week uh, during these seven weeks, I'm going to start with a statement as kind of a, a launching pad into God's, what God's Word says to us about that particular statement. And uh, like I said last week, many of these statements, when you first hear them, may not sound right at first, but uh, news for you, uh, a lot of times God's ways are different than our ways, right? Many times God's ways are opposite the way this world works. By the way, did you know that he doesn't think like we do? I know, I know, who knew? Such as last week, if you weren't here last week, last week's statement was this, improving your behavior will not give you victory in the Christian life. Thank you. Here's today's title statement. Problems in your life could be the best thing that could happen to you. Thank you. He balked at that one. That's right. I mean, if I took a poll here today and asked if problems in your life have brought about good, I think most of us, if not all of us, would say there have been things that I've gone through that have made me better, right? In fact, it's in seasons of pain or difficulty where we often turn to the Lord and and we rely on Him in ways, well, really, that we should be doing all along. Problems remind us of our inability to control things in our lives. And they actually let us know we don't have the capability to effectively manage life apart from Him. They have immense value. And that is probably something of which uh, I hope we could agree upon. 
the same rate. We don't want them. Right? <laughs> I mean, I like the statement. I've used it here before, but uh, I like the statement that says, we all love to see God work miracles in our lives. We just don't want to be in situations that require one. <laughs> So, do you ever find yourself just getting caught up in trying to keep your life here on this planet together? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to manage in life. Uh, we have work, we have our appointments, we have relationships, we have ministry, we have our family time, we have our tea times. Amen. Thank you. Seriously, do you ever get overwhelmed just trying to keep everything humming along so you're making enough money, you're paying the bills, you're raising good kids, you're saving for retirement, you're participating in the church, you're, you're trying, 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 trying. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Ed Sullivan? If you raise your hand, you're just dating yourself, okay? <laughs> when I was an extremely, extremely, extremely small, small, young, young child, <laughs> Ed Sullivan had a TV program where he had different acts come on and perform. Remember that? He had the Beatles several times, right? Uh, when I thought of modern Americans managing life, I remembered one of those acts that stuck in my head as a little kid from his really big show. Come on, that was pretty good. Yeah. So, I downloaded a 1957 version of this act. Does life ever make you feel like this guy? better hurry. Just think about all the things in your life. You've got to take, get kids to their a soccer practice and you've got to fix dinner that night and you've got to then sit down and pay the bills. And Oh yeah, there's the ministry opportunity at the church that you feel guilty if you don't attend, right? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's only a minute and a half if you're wondering. Just hang on. Hurry. Come on. Three more. Three more. The one on the left looks like my week this last week. One more, come on. All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> so, are you as good as him at keeping your life together? No. Huh? 
Or do sometimes the plates fall off and break? You can't seem to manage it all. Here's a point. Problems show us the futility of managing life our way. I thought this scene where Jesus was talking with his disciples and he makes this statement in Mark 8, 35. He says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And when you think about the statement, it's really an all-encompassing statement. You can't lose part of your life. You can't lose 60 or 80 or 90, even 90% of your life. It's, it's really 100%, or you haven't lost it. And the word lose in the Greek here comes from two root words that mean destroy and away. It means to bring something to an end and get rid of it. And the verse is, is very, very clear because if you want to hold on to your life and your will and your control over it, your future, your whatever, it says that you're going to see it destroyed and removed. But if you voluntarily destroy and remove self, personal ambition, your will, yield everything to the control of Jesus, you save it. And the word save in the passage is sozo. It's the word for redemption and salvation and deliverance. It's quite a definitive statement. It's one or the other. It reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis in um, He says, there are two kinds of people. He says, there are those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. (laughs) Wow. God knows that only abiding in him, staying under his wing, will, will life really have its destiny fulfilled in us. We will know why we were created and put on this planet. And he knows that if if we're seeking validation by how successful our behavior is, in our efforts to keep it all together, we will never find life as he intended for us. We'll think we can do this. And that's why he won't let it happen. God is so filled with grace that just when we think we have it all together, he comes along and smacks our plates off the stick. He wants you to rest in Him. He wants you to find a place of security and, and peace and, 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 and the quietness of the soul in His love for you. And in order to do that, He's got to have you. I mean, He's got to have all of you. <laughs> and many times trials and problems and hurts and uh, difficulties are actually blessings in disguise, as one song puts it. Because they bring us to an end of self. I remember a time in my life where I found myself teaching middle school. In order to provide, provide for my family. And uh, I was out of ministry and uh, every day I drove 30 minutes to a school where the kids... Well, they didn't like me. You find that hard to believe, don't you? 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was close. And then they would pay me barely enough to live. Every day I would ask the Lord to get me out or at least make it more bearable. But as the year progressed, they hate, they, I was going to say hated, but they liked me less and less and less. They might hate me, I don't know. I cannot begin to tell you today how miserable I was. So what I did is I started informing God. You ever done that? <coughs> Letting him know of the situation? I began to inform God that this was not the best place for him to use me. I got more to offer than this. I informed him that he might want to rethink this plan. But I got to tell you, every day that went by, I was being broken. Broken of finding validation in what I do. Being broken of self-will. My life, the way I want it. The misery of life was leading me to a very singular place where I just want him. And I realize now that was his plan. I remember a realization. I mean, I've been a Christian since I was an early teen. And, uh, but I remember this realization that I had one day driving to that job. And it was this. I have Jesus. I have everything. <laughs> it, was, it was revolutionary for me to think that. I have Jesus. I don't need an add-on. I don't need more. I don't need extra. I don't, I don't need to find validation anywhere else. I mean, we use the equation often. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We believe that, Right? Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, this is normal. This is what God does. He uses situations to bring us out of this world into his life for us. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may exult with exultation. In other words, problems ought not surprise us. They shouldn't surprise us. We expect them, right? And it's, the verse says, fiery ordeals shouldn't surprise us, but we should, in the midst of them, keep on rejoicing so that when his glory is revealed, yes, the glory of Christ, and we just rejoice. The continuation of our rejoicing just goes off the charts in exultation. We share his life. It means we share his suffering. Jesus came into this world. He left his rightful place, and he came into this world, and they killed him. You know why? Because he doesn't belong here. He came into enemy territory 
to win back God's people by dying on the cross, paying the ransom for our sin. And we stand with him, therefore we don't belong here. You understand, we don't belong here. The world is not our home. Our life in Christ is contrary to the systems this world has set up, just as his was. He, doesn't, he didn't fit here, and we don't fit here. This is especially true in the day and age in which we live today. Just think about it. Everything that the Word of God says is good, the world says today is what? Is bad, and it's vice versa. Such as God, God forms us, He formed you, He formed me in our mother's womb as His divine creation. And the world says now it's okay to kill those in the womb. Think about it. God creates us male and female, and the world says, oh, not so fast. (laughs) You can pick now any one of a hundred gender expressions. God, here's another one. God created man and women, man and woman to live in marriage together, to reproduce, to form families with a father and a mother, raising kids, and the world does everything it can to destroy that God-ordained family. We're fish out of water here, folks. The way we believe, God's Word. We ought to expect problems. I know I sound like a broken record these days, but I don't know how much longer we have on this planet. I think the rapture is imminent. Imminent means... Could be today, could be this week, could be this month, could be this year, could be next year. Something inside of me says it's not very far away. There's just too many signs converging all at once to make me think uh, it's way down the road. But, But think about it. What if the Lord does tarry? Do you think the the future means that the world is gonna be more friendly to our faith or more hostile to true biblical Christianity. Not a hybrid, not the new fancy kind of progressive uh, molding of modern thought. You know what I mean, right? Oh, here's a question. Is the American Christian ready for their little bubble to burst? You're familiar with the bubble, right? It's it's where we see all the signs of the times around us. We see the growing cultural darkness, the overwhelming torrent of immorality, the strong-arm tactics of dictatorial leaders, and we have a remarkable remarkable ability to ignore them and think our lives are going to just continue the way they always have. Oh, we hear about summits of leaders around the world making plans for a worldwide digital currency to control how every one of us spend our money. We hear of the coming climate crisis and agreements being forged this week by most of the world's leaders to call for a climate emergency later this year in order to lock us down once again to save the planet. 
They have told us that in 2030 is the year the earth will cease to exist if we don't change our ways, scaring people into compliance with their climate goals. I'm here to tell you, it's sinister, it's demonic, because at the core, it is led by the enemy. Oh yeah, your secure little bubble, it's already burst, whether we realize it or not. This is coming. The only question is whether we will be here or not, (laughs) or for how much of it. But I have good news. Aren't you glad? (laughs) I have good news. We don't care. We don't care because we have Jesus. We have nothing. We have no need of anything else in this world. Right? For to live is Christ and to die is even better. (laughs) Right? Through Christ, God is always leading us, always leading us to triumph, conquer, and He manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place we go, right? (laughs) In Christ, we live in a place of heart peace, right in the midst of this world. Oh, we see trouble. In this world, we see trouble. In this world, we're going to have trouble. But in him, we have peace because Christ has overcome the world. Right? How do we get to that place? How do we get to this place of complete freedom? To live fully in Christ, in his abiding presence. How do we get to this place where it's only him, only him, and I can be influential because his life flows through me into the lives of others? How can we get to be completely in him? You know what the answer is, right? Problems. Okay, I need to, I need to say this. Um, this is a rhetorical question. Do not answer. Will God either give you or allow more problems into your life than you can handle? Shh. Of course he will. Of course he will. As the scripture says, he will not allow temptation to overwhelm you. But when it comes to problems, just think if you could handle all your problems. He's going to give you a lot that you can't handle. Look what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. He's introducing the book to them. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. I'm going to die. This is, I, can't, I can't survive this. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who can even raise the dead. <laughs> Amen? 
That's a good problem. Despairing of death, but I belong to him. He's describing a problem so big, he didn't think he was going to survive this affliction. He had no answers for his problem. I hate to say it this way, but his problems were so bad, he, he had to trust in God. Problems produce brokenness in our lives. Sometimes people find themselves in overwhelming situations, problems beyond their control. But they say things like this. This burden is incredibly difficult to bear, but I'm not giving up. I'm not going to let this go. I can handle this. And when they say that, what they're actually doing is postponing the inevitable. God can outlast you. You realize that, right? He can outlast your self-determination. He will wait until the burden crushes you, breaks you, until you finally turn to him and say what I think to God are the three most glorious words to him. I give up. I can't do this. You see, I've come to believe that there are There's probably three spiritual conditions that we can live in. One is an unbeliever living in their sin. And one is a spirit-filled Christian who is completely given over to Christ. And Christ just has free reign to move and work in their life. But there's there's this third place where somebody comes to Christ, yet they think that living the Christian life is all on them. God is up there evaluating every day how well they're doing. He's counting their sins. And there is this constant effort being put forth to try to do what I'm supposed to do. I think that's the most miserable of the three. Because that person is in constant conflict. They've been given a new identity. The very spirit of Christ has been exchanged for their sin. They have the spirit of Christ living in them, compelling them to live from him, and yet they push him back and say, no, I can do it. The Christian trying to follow the rules of the Bible, working hard to please God, will meet with constant failure because he's trying to live the spirit-filled life without the spirit. And God never intended for life to be that way. Earlier this week, as I was preparing for this message, there was a passage of the Bible that I, I, I just couldn't get out of my head. I, I would sit down and, and, and work on this and, and, and put together the thoughts of what I wanted to say, and God would, would take me to this place, this other passage of the, of the Word, and I remember, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday, I said, Lord, could we get to this next week? I got to get my work done here. So 
I've been dealing with this, so you realize that whatever I have to deal with, so do you. <laughs> okay, right? The passage of Scripture was Matthew 25. It's the first 13 verses, the story of 10 virgins. They're waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. Five of them, five of them had oil in their lamps and five did not. And uh, when the bridegroom arrived at an unexpected hour, the, the ones with the oil um, were welcomed and the ones without oil begged for some of theirs and they couldn't give it. So the ones without oil go into town to try to get some oil while the five others with the oil go with the bridegroom into the wedding feast and the door is shut. Later on, the five others showed up at the door and they asked to be let in, to which the bridegroom says one thing. He says, I don't know you. I kept reading those 13 verses over and over, say, Lord, what do you want to say to me about this? And uh, I understand that these 10 virgins represent the church waiting for the return of Christ. We're the, we're the bridal party, and he's the bridegroom. And all 10 of these look the same on the outside. They're all waiting together. The only difference we see from these ten is that half of them have oil and half of them don't. The oil is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the seal of redemption. It's the proof of the new life in Christ. Then I asked the Lord, I said, is dividing them in half, does that mean anything? Because I read commentaries and they said, I, we think it's just an arbitrary number. You had to have some with oil, some without oil, and it just seemed more prudent to have half. I thought... What if it's that half of the people sitting in churches across America today have no oil? They're just hanging out with the wedding party. <laughs> they, they looked the part. And when they come to the door, they, they think they're qualified to enter. And it, it could be that they think that... The, well, I've been hanging out in the wedding party so long awaiting this return. Surely I'm qualified. They may think that they've behaved well enough to warrant a seat at the table. They start thinking through their past and they go, well, if I add up my church attendance, ministry activities, Christian lifestyle, I'm part. I'm, I'm going to get in. Or they think this. I remember the day that I walked the aisle and I said a particular prayer. I even got baptized. I've got all the bases covered. Jesus looks at him and says, I don't know you. I don't know you. You see, that's the qualification for entry. It's the relationship with him through the oil of his spirit in our lives. As Jesus was closing his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talks about problems. He talks about 
the onset of storms that's about to happen. He says there's two kinds of houses. Again, on the outside, these houses look what? They look the same. They're both pretty, very nice. But one of them is built on a rock, and one of them is built on sand. And the problems come, the storms come, the rains begin to fall, and the winds begin to blow. And, uh... The problems exposed the reality of these houses. On the outside, just like the virgins, they all look the same. Is your life built on the solid rock? Of not your good works. Is your life built on Jesus? Has he got all of you? Is there oil? Is there a spirit? Is his spirit living in you? I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because I love you. Watch out when pastors say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you this. We're fixing to find out. We're fixing to find out who's on the rock and who's on the sand. Because dare I say, he's on his way. He's on his way. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.